I'm Carrie Miller, and we're here on the campus of the University of Wisconsin River Falls with educators, students, and community leaders. Our topic, educating and training for work in rural America and the rural Midwest. This town hall is part of an ongoing series called The Rural Voice, and we're very grateful for the support of our sponsors, the Initiative Foundations in Minnesota, the Otto Bremer Trust, Compeer, the Center for Rural Policy and Development, and Minnesota Public Radio. Our thanks to Chancellor Gallo and her chief of staff, Beth Schomer, for making us so welcome. Beth did a lot of work for to make this happen, and I appreciate it. We are in season two of The Rural Voice, and here's how it works. We travel to rural towns in the Midwest. We gather a group of citizens together, and then we listen as those citizens use imagination and creativity and commitment to find some solutions for the challenges that confront them and to basically tell stories about their own hopes and dreams and ambitions. All of our Rural Voice discussions are airing on Minnesota Public Radio. Today, it's a topic that deeply concerns communities and business owners and students that live and thrive in rural America. Where will the next generation of well-trained and well-educated employees come from? And we're here at the University of Wisconsin River Falls because they're you, they, are meeting the challenge head-on. With agricultural science and on-campus farm training for manufacturing and collaborations with rural employers, and the idea is to offer fulfilling and well-compensated work for people who want to stay in the rural Midwest and beyond. So I want to start with some of the students who have come, and I'm just going to ask about how they foresee life beyond the university and whether that takes them into somewhere in the rural Midwest or beyond that. I'm coming over to Madeline. She's like, oh, I came and I'm the first one. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you're studying and how that fits with your idea of maybe staying in a rural community. Um, Hello, my name is Madeline. Um, I'm a freshman and I'm majoring in animal science. Um, My hopes for the future are to become a practicing large animal veterinarian, which I know are um, very in demand right now. And so I hope to be supported along the way through vet school um, and hopefully um, meet some other fellow veterinarians in the area. Madeline, does that mean that you would, in all likelihood, live and work in a rural community? Because you said large animal, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'd I'd love to do. And Ellie? Yeah, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Ellie. I am also a freshman here at River Falls studying agriculture business. Um, After I earn my degree, I hope to work in marketing for an ag-based company and eventually be able to come home and help run the business side of my family's dairy farm. Oh, wait a minute. Your family owns a dairy farm. You grew up on the dairy farm. Where is it? Um, it's, it's close to Rochester, Minnesota. Okay. So tell me about needing a degree to go home and run the dairy farm. So for me personally, I knew that I wanted to go to college. I wanted to pursue a bachelor's degree. Um, and I think that'll really help me with 
helping out on the business side of the farm, doing a lot of like the accounting, the hiring, all of that that goes into the behind the scenes of running a farm. I'm going to go over to a guest who is here from the Federal Reserve. There he is, Ron. Um, I want to know how common those stories are that you're hearing from Madeline and Ellie. And introduce yourself, if you would. Uh, my name is Ron Wirtz. I'm Regional Outreach Director for the Minneapolis Fed. And I would say, you know, in terms of education, I think those stories are fairly common in terms of wherever you are, you're putting yourself in a place that you see yourself in the future. That's why some kids maybe are going to the Twin Cities. They'd like more of that urban environment. I'm assuming maybe you all grew up rurally, um, have that farm background like your dairy farming. Um, and I think those are what grow the interest to come to a university like River Falls. Uh, the reason I asked you, uh, Ron, is because, and I, uh, maybe we should talk about this kind of early on. Federal Reserve has been doing some work and listening sessions over the years about how rural communities can thrive and how to keep people who want to live in rural America there. Tell me a little bit about what you found, and then I've got some things I wanted to pull out. So, I mean, I think a lot of the, what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is try to help try to understand how the economy works in rural areas as well as in urban areas. And there are dynamics that are both similar and different in both places. I think um, a lot of the challenges that we were seeing previous uh, maybe to the pandemic were a little bit different in the rural areas. I think some of it is converging. I think one of the opportunities in rural areas is that we're seeing a lot of job growth in rural areas. I think the opportunities are here, maybe where we didn't see them previously. So I think there's a lot more opportunity. I think for people that want to move to rural areas, I think there are more opportunities than maybe they were they were realizing. And I think Rural, rural communities are also kind of taking the initiative to say, what is it, what is it that's going to bring people back to these places as well? I mean, one of the challenges then, right, is educating for people who want to go back out into rural communities and sometimes drawing from those students to, or drawing from those communities to bring in students who want to go back out into the community. This is why we wanted to come to River Falls, because um, I know that's a priority. This is something, uh, Melissa, that you think about a lot, that you're not just sending graduates back out into the cities to go work at a company, never to be seen again right in that rural community. Tell me a little bit about how you think about that. I think every one of our students comes to the University of Wisconsin-River Falls with different ideas about what they want to do after they graduate. And what happens when they're here is the world is opened up for them. Uh, Whether they travel abroad or have an internship in a rural area, um, a great example of that is we had a student um, apply for an internship last year and thought that it was in Hastings, Minnesota, and it was in Hastings, Nebraska. And she took the internship and went to a new part of the country she'd never been before and had an amazing experience. And so, so many doors are opened for our students if they're willing to look for them and engage in the opportunities in front of them. And um, even though they might have an idea what they want to do when they leave here, uh, it changes often. And it changes a lot of times, not just once, but numerous times. 
I'd love to hear from somebody else from the university about how UWRF positions itself to meet the need of people who, again, do not want to go live in a live in a city somewhere or live in a suburb somewhere, but really want to go back to be a contributor back into a rural community. Maybe a professor. I'm going to come to the dean who's not looking at me. Yeah, he knew it. Okay. Introduce you. You're the perfect guy to talk to about this. Okay, introduce yourself. So my name is Mike Orth. I'm the Dean of the College of Agriculture, Food, and Environmental Sciences at the University of Wisconsin River Falls. I started June 1st. So, you know, one of the things when you talk about education and you're going back to a rural community, I think one of the advantages, well, our college in particular is very hands-on, high-impact experiential learning activities. That's one of the things that over decades we have prided ourselves on. So that's one reason it's really good to come. I think the other thing, when you think about going back to a rural community, uh, issues are complex, and there's a lot of issues. There are, you know, the, the young lady talking about ag business, but, you know, when you go on a farm, maybe 30 years ago, you just thought about, well, I'm going to go milk cows. Well, now you've got issues surrounding um, the welfare of the animals, you have issues surrounding the environment. Uh, things are, are much more complex, and something that the University of Wisconsin, or, you know, River Falls can offer in the college is you can, you can get trained and understand a lot of those variety of areas. It's, it's not just about learning how to milk cows, but learning about all those issues that are now part of raising animals. And uh, you know, one of the things that excites me now about being in rural and small farms is is the um, I think there may be a movement back that people, you know, are they've been living in a city and it's a certain kind of life, but getting back in a rural rural um, atmosphere, they can you know get outside more. They can they can do different things. There's there's biodiversity issues. You can have animals, different fruits and vegetables, and you can have butterflies and all those kinds of things. So there's all those pieces and about all of those things you can you can learn about and actually prepare yourself to go to a small farm and uh, you know and then you can do a variety of different things on that farm. So anyways, I think I think we're really well suited to uh, to educate and get people ready to go on a on a small rural farm and and thrive. One of the things that surprised me from the Federal Reserve uh, report that I was looking at as I was preparing for this was this need uh, and lack, in, lack of people from rural communities who commit to higher education or some kind of advanced training. So I guess I'm asking, Mike, if you are prioritizing drawing from the communities, the rural communities, to bring in students who will then go back out to those communities. How do you get those students, um, how do you persuade them that an education is what they need uh, even if they're going to return to that community? Well, that's, a, you know, being a little bit new, so this is, you know, kind of going through the process. I, you know, we do have a lot of recruiting opportunity. There's a lot of um, recruiting opportunities, uh, a lot of times trying to engage them at various events while they're going, while they're in high school and such. But, you know, one of the other things that we're getting the opportunity to do here is, let's say somebody doesn't know if they, they know they want to go back to a farm, but they don't know if they want to get a degree. So one of the things that is happening now is, 
for, for decades, there was a farm and industry short course program that was in Madison. And Madison decided, you know, that's not our thing. Well, industry came to us right away and said, Could you guys need to do this. You guys are where hands-on stuff is. So we are going to have the farm and industry short course. We'll be starting here well, a few weeks now. And it's going to focus on the dairy. But that's like a first step that, you know, you don't know you want to go to college, but you can take these courses in a specific area. You'll be living on campus. And so you can get exposed to it, but get good, practical, hands-on uh, information. So if, you, if that's what you want, you can get that. But if you like the experience and you're like, well, maybe I should go on. I can keep going in my education. You could keep doing that here. So you know, we have a lot, of, a lot of activities, a lot of recruiting activities to get them. But I think this is a nice piece that we're going to add here, that farm and industry short course, to kind of expose, expose students to say, well, you know, I'll get this information, but maybe I need to. Maybe I'd like to go beyond that. Who else could speak to the different dynamic that I think Ron referred to, and that Mike is talking about when you're educating for a community that isn't necessarily urban? That you are making a priority of this. Yes, Jennifer. Jennifer Willis Rivera. I'm chair of communication and media studies, and. We have students who are working in rural areas but doing things for their farms and for their communities and for the small businesses in their communities that you also see in the urban areas. So, for example, uh, there are now a lot of family farms that have social media, right? And that is something that we work with our students, uh, getting them to learn social media and not just how to do a post, uh, which they already know how to do, but really understanding the intricacies of analytics, um, so that's important. Also, when you think of things in organizations, even small organizations in rural areas, um, you have things like HR. You have things um, like having a communication manager. Um, you have newspapers. Uh, that we have our, our journalism students work with. So we really try to get them to understand that a lot of the jobs that we're preparing them for, you can find absolutely in the inner cities, but you can also find them in rural areas. And so that's something that they don't always think about because sometimes they come in and they think that they want to do a particular um, you know, equine science, and then they're like, oh, maybe not, this might not be my thing, but they still want to contribute to their family farm. We find ways to be able to do that and to give them experiences and, and hands-on skills that will help them help their family farm in ways that they hadn't thought of before. Is part of this a perception that there are... That, that life is thriving and that economic development is thriving in rural communities. I mean, is part of this just a perception problem? Jennifer, let me hand this back to you then. I absolutely think that's the case because we have, um, especially since COVID, industry has changed so much. So one example that I use, I have a former student who now is pretty high up in analytics at Meta, but lives in Luck, Wisconsin. And the only thing she really needs is a good internet connection. So people don't think 
a lot of times of these, a lot of our majors, that how can we translate those to rural areas? Um, it's, it's just not something that's thought of because of the perceptions of what a rural area means. Like, like you were saying, Mike, that it's like, oh, learning how to milk a cow. I think a lot of that still um, persists and that I think we're doing a really good job starting to change that. I'm right next door to Raymond. Um, you came back to college, right, after some years in a different kind of industry. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, again, my name is Raymond. I'm, I've been a 911 dispatcher now for 21 years. I came to River Falls originally in 1992, fresh out of high school, uh, as originally as a journalism major, and decided that wasn't really a f- good fit for me at the time and then went into sociology and eventually into the workforce, uh, never having graduated. I've been kind of on what I call the Tommy Boy plan. Um, <laughs> so what, I've, what I realized when I came to River Falls, a lot of people didn't understand that at the time it had more to offer than the rural and the uh, agricultural education because at the time when I came in 92, it was the smallest accredited journalism school in the nation, which was a big draw for me at the time. Um, and I've realized now, after being in the workforce for the you know, better part of 25 years, that it's an education is beneficial to move beyond where you are. Um, and I came back to school to accomplish that, to finish my degree and make myself, the term, more marketable to move up. Um, and as Jennifer said, it is not just tied to corporations and big city business, but you can use communications in any environment. Everybody's got to communicate one way or the other, and having that knowledge makes the field wide open for you. Ron, I want to come back to you real quick um, about the... When I was talking about the perception of what's happening in rural communities, we're hearing about people who can work remotely. That's one element that is building. But I also wonder, are, are we seeing a, a marketed, market increase in manufacturing, in other companies that are hiring in these communities? And then the question becomes, who will they hire, right? Where do they find these trained and educated employees? Uh, Carrie, that's a really complicated question. I'll try to boil down into a few things. I think what we have seen is what they were alluding to earlier is I think there is um, an increasing perception that I don't have to live in a big city to have opportunity. Um, I think that's very real. I think the pandemic has kind of accelerated that in part because um, with the pandemic, more people wanted to get outdoors. When they wanted to get outdoors, they had to come to rural areas. And I think just the exposure, seeing cute downtowns, things like that, I think has made some kind of perceptive difference in how people are thinking about where they might end up living. Now, are we seeing huge migration patterns change? Things like that move very slowly. Um, I would say one of the things that might that probably will be a difference maker is if rural areas can find housing. I think that's one of the issues that you've talked about in some of your other um, some of your other uh, town halls. But I think that is not a small matter in terms of connecting um, 
companies to workers. You know, we're talking about education and, and companies, but there's a lot of other pieces that have to fit in order for those things to always match. Rural companies are, or excuse me, urban areas and urban companies are having some of the same difficulties. But I think housing is a major component of of the communities that are going to win. It's those that figure out at least one of those pieces, like housing. Carrie, my name is Alan Tuckton Hagen, and I'm on the school board here in River Falls. And also as part of that, and I'm also on the board of directors for the Wisconsin State School Board Association, and it's really in that second role that I'd kind of follow up on his comments about what attracts people to rural communities. And I think if you're a young, independent worker, no family, those kinds of things, uh, the possibility of living in some really cool, remote place up north in the woods sounds great. If you've got kids, what's the first thing you want? It's good schools. Good schools is what drives everybody into um, um, who has kids into selecting the place where they want to live and work. And the reality is that the vast majority of schools in Wisconsin, I'm sure this is true in Minnesota too, have declining enrollments. Declining enrollments mean less state aid. Less state aid means less opportunity and less programs for students, et cetera. So, for example, um, River Falls is a district of about 3,500 students, which is not as big as many of the metro area schools, but is considered fairly large. There are 421 school districts in the state of Wisconsin. The average size of a school district in Wisconsin is 1,000 students, okay, K through 12. There are districts out there, I, I have a number of colleagues on boards, where the K through 12 system is four to 500 students. The entire system is four to 500 students. So you're a family and you're looking to relocate can you locate in a place that's got a good school district, that doesn't have declining budgets every year, that has good community support because we fund schools through property taxes, which is not a progressive way to do that, but most states do it that way. And because of that, then a good share of that burden falls into the agricultural community. And a good share of, for example, here in River Falls, the vast majority of voters, over two-thirds of them, don't have kids in school. So when we float a bond issue, when we're asking for support for the school, we have to demonstrate value added that those people are willing to support and pay for. So I think good schools are absolutely critical to anything that happens in rural or urban development, but certainly in rural areas, one of the biggest concerns always is schools. And with funding shortfalls now, there's talk again in Wisconsin of forced consolidation or encouraging consolidation of small rural districts which sounds good. You take two districts of five or 600 students and put them together. They got a nice sized district. The bus time for those kids to ride in a bus to get to school, um, the ability to attract teachers out and pay them a good wage are all challenges um, that exist out there. So, This is, Alan, you're speaking to what we've discovered, which is in all these different town halls, the, the issues are just inextricably intertwined as you were talking about housing and good schools that you really can't achieve one without solving somehow imaginatively imaginatively some of these other issues so julie i'm going to come back to you to speak to that if you would but um first i want to come to alex alex you're a student tell me a little bit about yourself uh, I'm, my name is Alex. I'm a marketing communications. This is my first year, but this is my second year at uh, River Falls. And 
I'm not sure what I want to do outside of school, but I feel as a marketing communications major, um, with the growing amount of remote work, that I'd be able to live in a re rural environment and still be able to find plenty of job opportunities. Yeah. Is that appealing? I believe so, yeah. I come from a town of a little over a thousand, so I'm really intertwined with rural communities and love it. Glad to have you here. Thank you for coming. I'm going to come over here to Hayden. Hayden, you're also a student. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Hayden. I am also a marketing communication major who just transferred here this year. And uh, I've always grown up in, I've been close to the cities, but I never really liked the cities. Um, I kind of have anxiety about some of, the, some of those things, so small towns really do appeal to me. And when I saw River Falls, uh, I really enjoyed like the campus and how it felt and the small town feel. And it's definitely somewhere that I would want to live. Um, so that kind of like pushed me to come here just to get a you know a feel for it. Do you think your your career path, Hayden, leads you probably away from a metro area and out into a more kind of rural community? Uh, yeah, because I feel like uh, River Falls has really shown me that with the degree that I chose, um, I'm able to do a lot of things with it. And one thing I was really hoping to do is work with a lot of small town businesses and kind of rural communities and just help marketing and, you know, uh, working with all those businesses uh, in a small town. Good to have you here. Glad you came. So, Julie, back to you about how inextricably linked these issues are and how rural communities are wrestling with all of that. It's not enough just to solve one thing. Would you speak to that for a minute? Sure. Julie Tesh, and I'm uh, president and CEO of the Center for Rural Policy and Development in Minnesota. It's a tangled web. You know, you, saw, you think you might solve one thing, let's say housing, and it's impossible to solve. So I live near the town of Wasika. And we were discussing previously, they're kind of landlocked. We have a university outreach center, we have a federal prison, we have a lake. There's not a lot of room to grow. And it's a contentious issue because the city does own some land that it's questionable, do they grow or not? And they're a bedroom community for Owatonna and Mankato. They're full, 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 full. What do you do? So say we solve the housing problem, then it's childcare, then it's healthcare. It's always something else. And so it, it, there's not a one size fits all. And, and if you've been to one rural community, you've been to one rural community. I'm from a town of 201. I am not the one, I live on a farm, but you know, they have their, they have their own issues they're dealing with. And so it, it's really complicated. And I do have to say, it's really refreshing hearing these students wanting to go back to rural areas. Um, when I went to college a long time ago, I'm about the same age as Raymond. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't know where I wanted to end up, but I left and I moved around the country and ended up back in a rural area. I did not expect that, but I'm so glad that I did. And I'm so glad that there's opportunities because when I left, those opportunities weren't there. I want to come over to another guest here who is on the school board, Stacy. Stacy, introduce yourself, and then I have a question for you. I'm Stacy Myers, and I serve on the school board. 
What do you do declining enrollment in school districts is an indication, of course, that people are not being drawn back to rural communities. How do you meet that challenge to provide the kind of opportunities that you hear students here saying they'd really like to have to live in a community like that? I know you think about this. Just reflect on it for a minute, if you would. It's very complicated. Um, declining enrollment is a significant issue because then we do not have the dollars to be able to expand our programs. So it requires us to, un to do prioritization of what is going to be the most important. One of the things that might enter into this conversation um, is our emphasis on college and career readiness. That is critically important in order for our students to have a rigorous enough education to be able to come to universities like UWRF. That's significant. One of the things that impacts our district, too, is that we have an alternative high school. One education system doesn't meet the needs of every student. And so in River Falls, we have been able to have a very high graduation uh, percentage because we have two different ways for kids to be able to go through high school. That is really important. But it also means that school boards are spending more and more time and effort working on passing referenda. And when we have to pass referenda, it means there are fewer hours to go around for school boards and for administrators to do the work of guiding schools. And that's a very significant issue. Thank you. I'm so glad you brought up career readiness. Um, one of the things that kept popping up and some of the things that I was reading to prepare for this was that even employers who are in rural communities and ready to hire are not finding enough potential employees with the kind of education and training that they need. Yeah, you wanted to add to that, Stacy. So one of the things that we've done in our district is to make sure that we have a variety of academies, um, opportunities for students to learn to be welders, to build houses, to become a CNA right in high school. Those opportunities have been really important in terms of enabling our kids then to have an idea of either what they want to do post high school or maybe what they don't want to do. But sometimes what they don't want to do is just as important in terms of guiding them to what their next steps would be. So I think that's something that at least our district and I think other districts are doing as well to help with the college and career readiness component but also to make sure that we're bringing students in. I want to come right over here, introduce yourself, if you will. Joe Folsom, the Executive Director for Pierce County Economic Development Corporation. I just want to reaffirm what you said, Stacy, particularly as it relates to the relationships that students can build with employers and with other post-secondary institutions while they're in high school and be able to test out those job interests that they that they think they may have or, and may, may realize or may not realize as they go forward. And I'm thinking about programs such as a youth apprenticeship program, scouting at the exploring program, and even the, the opportunity at, like with CVTC that some of the students have here where you can actually, and UWRF where you can get dual credit to be able to move forward and, and be able to uh, experience those uh, <coughs> opportunities 
that you have a career interest in and either learn whether you like it or not and at the same time get credit for it. So let, let me make sure I'm hearing this right. So because we're focused on solutions in this series, is part of, are you both saying that part of the solution for meeting the needs of rural employers is to change up the way education is traditionally happening? Stacy, yes? You're saying yes to that? I think so. When we look at our community in River Falls, we need CNAs. We need people who are going to build houses. We need people who are going to become teachers. And when our students are able to have exposure in high school to what it's like to do those, those jobs, it helps them to make a decision. I think it gives them the support and the relationships that they may need to be able to take the step into college or getting whatever um, expertise they need to do those jobs. If you, you were asking for stories, and I think of one young man that I know who uh, graduated this past spring. When he finished, he had a job, a very good job doing construction because he learned to build a house during his senior year. Had he not had that experience, I don't know that he would be in the workforce right now. I think that there are numerous examples in the River Falls School District like that for students. It's really important. So we have faculty here, and I want to put you all to the test. What we're hearing is you really have to break some of the education models that are traditional. And I wonder, as professors, what you all think of that. Professor Chisti, introduce yourself, if you would. Kerry, uh, I'm Mahama Chisti. I'm dean of the College of Education, Business, and Allied Health. Uh, I've been here since July 1st. <laughs> So Mike has a one-month seniority. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, we do have to rethink uh, the education model, uh, what we deliver, how we deliver it. And uh, yes, we do offer the traditional degrees in business administration and education and allied health. Uh, but uh, the higher education landscape is changing. And uh, employers care more about skill sets than about degrees. And uh, so we have uh, modified, uh, obviously, again, we still offer all of the degree programs, uh, but we're also creating certificate programs, standalone certificate programs, which will offer students the opportunity to acquire uh, a new skill set. Uh, the word used we is upskilling. Uh, we are also increasing the number of online courses and online education, uh, online degrees we offer. Uh, this will enable people who live in rural areas, uh, perhaps some distance away from campus, uh, to take courses with us, uh, fully online courses, and upgrade their skills. And uh, on the other side, I would also like to say that uh, we, we do have uh, programs that encourage our students to create their own businesses, so they don't have to worry about uh, going to work for an employer when they go back uh, to the rural community. So we have innovation challenges, we have courses in entrepreneurship, we encourage our students to think about creating their own business. Uh, and uh, higher education, I think, is, uh, is valuable. Uh, it will provide you with a way to uh, succeed in whatever you wish to do. And uh, 
One of the reasons that we are offering these online courses and degree programs is because there are approximately 30 to 40 million adults in the workplace who have some college credit but not a degree. And so this is also an opportunity for many of them to come back to campus, not literally, but come back online, uh, take courses, finish up the degree, upgrade their skills, and prepare perhaps for a different career. I see a couple of students I haven't hassled yet, so I'm going to come back here to them. And then, uh, Chancellor, if you would think about I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of changing up, breaking the traditional mold of what higher education, if you'll think about that for a minute. Okay, Devin, tell me a little bit about yourself. Hey, I'm Devin. I'm from Burnsville, Minnesota. I came here in the hopes of getting a biotechnology degree to hopefully do some cancer research or prosthetics research. Mm -hmm. Do you imagine yourself working in a metro area or in, would your preference be out in a rural community somewhere? That's a little tough because I know most of the jobs towards my degree are in more urban areas. Mm -hmm. Personally, I'd rather live in a rural area if possible. Tell me why. Why? It's just more of a preference. I grew up in a city of 60,000 people. Mm -hmm. I don't really know anybody from my high school. I maybe know, can probably name you five people. Um, I just like the kind of close-knit uh, community style, mm -hmm. I would say. Wish you well with the career. Okay, uh, Erica. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Erica. I am a sophomore. When I entered college, I was undecided, so I think that's the cool thing about it is I ended up picking two majors last year, marketing communications and communication studies. So I suppose for me, I'm not really sure where I'll end up with a degree or even where I have interests in just seeing where life takes me, seeing where internships takes me. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's interesting because I'm not sure where I'll end up, both job-wise and location-wise, but I know that there's a lot of different opportunities out there for me. Great. Thank you. Glad you're here. Okay, Chancellor, what about changing up the traditional idea of what higher ed is? Well, that's an excellent question, and there are you know a number of drivers of change these days, and um, academia is sometimes accused of not being the most nimble, and that's because it's worked. And it's worked very well. But one of the things I think we're reimagining is our relationship to business. And businesses have always been stakeholders in the sense that we train students and then those students work for these industries. But also now, uh, businesses are becoming true partners. So there's more integration. So as we look to... Um, benefit from technological improvements as we look to see how would we change up curriculum to keep being relevant. Uh, we need that kind of input from uh, businesses. And that's why right now we're building um, the Science and Technology Innovation Center. And a big piece of that is the University Business Collaboration Center there, where businesses will come in and really integrate with students, integrate with faculty, and collaborate on projects and solutions and training. And so that's extremely important. And the other ways, too, that um, 
businesses are entering in and being disruptive to us is also as competitors of education. So we can't forget that either, that if we're talking about upskilling or retraining, uh, are we doing that in a way that is um, relevant to the student, relevant to these businesses, and they may take that on themselves. So we have to look at this sort of the whole ecosystem there in our relationship with uh, business. Okay, that is really interesting. I didn't think of it that way. You're saying that businesses may take on the role of higher education in some way, and then they won't need the institution. Hmm. In what, give me an example of that, if you could. I think there's a lot of examples out there of companies that do the training internally. So they're looking at their specific skill set, and if they could provide it or they can contract out for it, they might do that. So can we be the primary providers of that, right? And that's what we're good at. And um, so the uh, marketers that are here, the marketing communication uh, students and faculty, how do we market ourselves so we are the, the go-to destination to get those skills? I'm Carrie Miller. You're listening to a Rural Voice Town Hall at the University of Wisconsin River Falls. It is one of four that we're doing around the state. And today we're talking with students and members of the community and faculty and the chancellor of UWRF about educating and training for life in the rural Midwest and rural America and meeting the demands that employers have. And we've just gotten onto this interesting part of this that I wanted to move to, which is how do you make sure, I'm coming over to the Dean of Arts and Science. Um, Dean, how do you make sure you're not just turning out employees and not well-rounded, critically thinking, imaginative, creative people when business is kind of giving you the, the template? This is what we need and want. Introduce yourself if you would. Yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, Wes Kisting, uh, Dean of Arts and Sciences, and I started on July 3rd, so. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, one of the peculiar ironies about education or really any field of innovation, I think, is sometimes what is newest is actually quite old, but it's things we've forgotten. And they come back and sort of force us to, to see things anew. Um, I think universities like UW-River Falls and rural and small town communities like River Falls have a lot in common with one another, which is a lot of their value is not obvious on the surface, and it isn't quite visible by conventional wisdom because conventional wisdom has blind spots built in. So I've been struck as I've been listening to the conversation that there's so much talk to your question about producing employees. There's a lot of talk where we're translating the value we offer into skills and um, paychecks and viable careers. And that's something we do exceptionally well here. Um, small towns and smaller comprehensive um, universities like UW-River Falls excel at that sort of warmth and authenticity and open environment where you form a personal bond with faculty that really cultivates you very profoundly as a person as well as a professional and opens you up to uh, a whole set of career skills that might, might not even show up on a neat list of specific skills you would list for performing any, any given trade, right? Those soft skills that they're sometimes called. Um, but I think 
there's also a whole range of other opportunities to sort of change the narrative where, um, yes, there are um, economic analyses that say whether it's wise to bring a company to this community or not and whether the dollars and cents make sense. There's also a whole set of data that isn't captured in conventional wisdom right now that I think is resounding through our culture. Skyrocketing depression rates, huge all-time high burnout rates, um, burgeoning anxiety. Uh, people who in more dense urban centers have experienced how quickly in an environment of scarcity, like from the pandemic, communities start to turn on each other and don't have the resilience that you find in a small town where people have built a much more robust personal infrastructure for supporting each other. So I think there's really profound advantages to rural communities, to small towns, and to small comprehensive universities like UW-River Falls, where there's still very much a teaching-centered, student-centered ethic that, yes, worries about job skills, worries about research and depth of knowledge, but also understands the importance of breadth of knowledge, variety of experience, and the fact that we're moving into a world where the average person now does need a certain level of scientific technical literacy because during a pandemic, they personally might have to make a tough decision about whether this vaccine is safe or not for my child, right? They have to um, understand how to use things like um, effective persuasion and communication to convince neighbors to unite behind an issue so that they have a collective voice to move the needle on something that maybe the whole town or community has been stumbling over until that point. And they also need to learn things I'm passionate about as somebody who's devoted his life to education. I'm a literature professor. There are things that will never show on a list of skills, like how you use a piece of literature and share a story with a total stranger and form a bond where you find yourselves discussing something on a level of intimacy you've never talked about with your closest friends because that piece of knowledge facilitates a human interaction. That doesn't sound like a skill, but that's how somebody very effectively leads the culture of a corporation someday, by learning how to create those sorts of interactions. As a book lover, you're speaking my language right there. Uh, okay, Melissa, back to you from career services. So a couple of things have emerged here, which is how do you get the balance, I guess, of what employers want and need right with, you know, with the mission of, of an institution like this? How do you think of that? It's something that we think about a lot in the career services world and a campus in general. The National Association of Colleges and Employers, or NACE, has uh, career competencies, eight career competencies that they uh, worked with employers across the country and career services folks at universities to develop. And at UW-River Falls, we use those eight career competencies in guiding the work that we do in our office and helping our students understand uh, the skills, the essential skills or soft skills that they are gaining at UW-River Falls that they don't even realize is happening in the classroom, outside of the classroom, being the leader of a group or organization, uh, volunteering in their community. They are uh, developing those critical thinking skills. And so we have a We Are Career Ready campaign on our campus, and we actually um, bring three faculty fellows in every summer and we work with them to better understand the competencies and then infuse them into their own curriculum and into the curriculum of their department. 
And so we're working very hard on making sure that our students understand the competencies they're developing that employers want. And if they're lacking in any of those areas, having that tough conversation with the student about the developmental conversation that this is an area of growth for you. Let's talk about that, whether we're a campus employer or an advisor of an organization, but having that discussion where this is an area of growth for you, and if you work on this, you will be even more employable and employer-ready when you graduate from the institution. Okay. I want to come over here to Michelle. Um, first, Michelle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Michelle Stangler. I am a senior at the University of Wisconsin River Falls, studying agricultural marketing, communications, and journalism, coming from southern Wisconsin. And a fun fact, I was on a team with 10 other individuals a few years ago, and my town, Watertown, is about 20,000 people. And these other 10 individuals with their towns where they come from uh, added up to less than 20,000. And we were representing FFA, which is a student-led organization in agriculture. So very interesting that I do come from a rural farm, but uh, more of a urban high school, you could say. Okay, so where do you, you're studying communications and journalism. You have a podcast, right, about? Positivity and ag, so helping tell the stories um, here in the agricultural community. Okay. Where do you think your career is going to lead you, and will it lead you back out away from cities into more rural communities? That's a great question, and if you can help me answer it, I would really appreciate it. <laughs> but right now, I say I want to help tell the story of agriculture, whether that's marketing, communications, or broadcasting. Right now, I'm playing around with the idea to do a 50-state tour of uh, talking with people in agriculture. Right now I'm single, living life, so might as well. Um, but I see myself in that because I think there's so many stories to be told. But I know a concern I have is just a lot of ideas. Where do I funnel those ideas, especially in the rural communities um, out west? I had an opportunity to be there this summer. Um, the, it's very different of what rural is defined as and uh, the challenges, but also so many opportunities because at the end of the day, I love agriculture and that's where I see myself involved into that community and most of the time that's in the rural areas. Michelle I think you're a good person to ask this of what do you think people get wrong about rural life and what it means to live in a rural community? I think maybe a common misconception is that there's not opportunities in rural areas. I think now more than ever, there's so many opportunities to be on a computer or to do that kind of work and to support the agricultural, whatever industry it may be. Um, but I know that the challenge is, is internet. I mean, right where I am, my farm uh, that we have, I live in a valley, and our internet connection sometimes is good, sometimes it can be bad. I know my dad, um, he likes to go on Netflix, he likes to do those streaming platforms, and he's older, love him, um, but internet, um, that connection may not be there, so I'm like, Dad, I need to send some emails tonight, can you just not watch the Brewer game tonight on internet? Um, so I think that's the struggle is the internet, but there are so many possibilities if you find um, that area that has a good internet connection. So really do think that there are that those opportunities, and I wish people would see that um, because you can support your farm. You can um, do market. You can do on, on value-added products um, with whatever your possibilities may be. I wish you well with that 50-state tour. That's pretty cool. Who hasn't spoken that would... Ah, a couple more students. Yay. Let me come around here. 
Glad you came. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, um, my name's Lexi Janzer. I'm also a senior here, and I'm a double major in journalism and criminology. I also come from a rural town. It's about 20 minutes away from Michelle. <laughs> um, it's called Mavel, Wisconsin. There's around 5,000 people there, so it's very, very small. And I'm actually on the outside of it in an even smaller like town, I guess. It's called Farmersville. Um, I bet you never guess what's there. But um, <laughs> that's actually unincorporated, so there's enough people there for it to be a town, but no one wants to be mayor, so unincorporated is. <laughs> um, do you see yourself going back to a community like where you grew up? Would that be the dream if you could do the kind of work you want to do? Um, yeah, honestly, I really liked the tight-knit, I guess, version of it. Like, everybody was so close, and I knew a bunch of people, and I knew, like, where I could get the resources that I needed, so I also enjoyed, like, the support and how close my family was to me and stuff like that, so I think it would be interesting for journalism. I would prefer to go to a smaller newspaper because I enjoy getting that close, like, interaction with um, the people that I would be interviewing and, like, hearing their stories and stuff like that because I feel like there's always so much more you can learn about the town that you grew up grew up in. But for criminology, I feel like I'd have to go a little bit bigger since <laughs> there's not exactly a wide variety of the things that I would want to do there. So, yeah, That's an interesting combination of majors there. All right, sir, you are? Yeah, my name is Jack Schindler Van Hoof. I am a um, junior here, and I'm studying English and uh, journalism. And I live in Hudson, so not very far from here, about a 15-minute drive. And... I don't even remember how many people live there, but around, let's just say, thirteen to 15,000 people. Um, I live more on the outskirts, so uh, away from the center of town, but still pretty close. So, yeah. Do you think your job will take you back to a world? Um, at the moment, I have, a, I have a few options that I'm kind of considering. Um, what I think I'd like to do most is... Um, uh, when I graduate, find a, a small newspaper in the area. Maybe I could work for, like, um, the Hudson Star Observer, or um, if, I, if there are more opportunities in the cities, you know, it's a, great, it's a great spot for journalism especially, and it's close, so I could always consider, consider something like that. Um, what I really want to do is uh, be an author, so uh, because that's a bit of a competitive market, I, I wanted to kind of have my foundation in something like journalism and then do my, my own like, personal work on the side until that could take off and kind of become my predominant career. But um, I, I definitely prefer um, smaller towns. I've lived in Hudson my whole life, and I don't want to say I'm like, allergic to large cities, but I just feel a little claustrophobic in there. I don't know if anyone else can relate. but um, So I definitely prefer working for more... A small town newspaper or something like that could look around here, and there's a lot of options. So, yeah. Wish you well with the writing career. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Olivia, how did I miss you? All right. Tell me about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Olivia. I am actually a senior this year. Woo-woo. But I am double majoring in psychology and communication studies, and I feel like I can really speak towards how underrated rural areas are. I actually grew up right outside of Dayton, Ohio, and then I moved to Spooner, Wisconsin, and graduated from there. So I went from a graduating class of roughly 500 to 70, which was large for Spooner. 
Um, my parents' biggest concern was education, obviously. You'd think going to a smaller school, it wouldn't be good. But I actually learned a lot about agriculture. I joined FFA, which in Ohio, there's like four members of FFA. And I actually was an officer. I was the reporter for my senior year in high school. And I took natural resource management. Very interesting. I don't think if I wouldn't have moved to Wisconsin, I don't think I would have been interested in plants. I ended up managing a house plant store. So if you guys have plant questions, send them my way. Um, but it's just really interesting to see that down in Ohio, I didn't feel like I mattered as a student. Coming to Spooner, it was very important. I'm a first gen, low income, so obviously I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't have my mom or dad to help me with that. But being in Spooner, they were like, hey, why don't you try this? And I'm like, oh, okay. So I was in Upward Bound. I got to actually stay on campus in River Falls for two summers for summer programs. Fell in love, absolutely love it. All of my professors, um, all the students too, everyone's just kind of a support system. And it's really nice to be a part of that. <laughs> wow, yeah, thank you for the story. I want to come back here in the last couple minutes that we've got to balancing the way what rural employers are going to need. Ron, I'm looking at you on this. And, and the need for some higher level of training and higher level of education and persuading more would-be students that they need to get that training or education. Because I know enrollment is also dropping at, at uh, institutions of higher ed. So what about that? So that's a great question and actually something that I was hoping we'd maybe circle back to because part of the problem that we have with declining enrollment is not that rural areas are not necessarily as popular. We have a population stagnation generally. So we're not growing as fast as we used to. Our labor force is growing much slower than it used to. So I think what I think we really need to put some focus on is maybe not the students that are here. You kind of already won in this economy because there are lots of opportunities for you. What I worry about more is who is not ready for additional training, who's not interested, who's not getting on that opportunity cycle. Uh, because let's face it, there are still a lot of students that are left behind. And it's not on purpose, at least I hope not. But I do think we're really missing opportunities when we allow students to not be at grade level um, in, our, in, our high, or in our grade schools, our high schools. And I'm not pointing fingers at the education system per se. It's a very complicated matter. But I think there's a really beautiful opportunity to finally say, we have opportunities for everybody. And how do we capture that opportunity for all students, including you know the people here? And I think I'm, I'm hearing stories that, and I, when I talk to businesses, when I talk to community leaders, I think there is a lot of change going on. I think we are starting to recognize that institutions have to change for the opportunities. I think we're seeing that. I think we heard stories here. But what I really worry about is are we, are we changing fast enough and identifying those kids that need something different in order to give them the, the leg up to take advantage of the very good opportunities that are available in the, in the economy right now. I just want to say Olivia is a great example of somebody who might not have ended up in college, right? You said first generation, college. You might have veered off and done something else, but here you are. Julie, let me come back to you real quick because I want to I come over to uh, the dean. This is what he gets paid for, to think about 
how do you reach how do you reach beyond the self-selecting I want to go to college and reach into more of those people that Ron is talking about? What do you have to be to reach those people? Do you think? So and introduce yourself again, if you would. Okay, so I'm Mike Orth. I'm the dean of the College of Ag and Food and Environmental Sciences. So that's really it's an interesting question. I one of the things you know again I'm new to Wisconsin, but one of the things that has impressed me is that you have a very robust technical college system here. Like, I went and visited um, Chippewa Valley Technical College. You've got great resources. That's a, a perfect venue. So you've got, you've got some students, they don't know that they want to, you know, go to college or not, but you, these facilities are fantastic. There's, again, an opportunity to kind of get your feet wet. You know, you can get very hands-on. Um, opportunity, you, whatever field you want. Just, they have a lot of writing, a lot of very practical things, a lot of different things. They've got, you know, Chippewa Valley has some really nice agriculture programs too. So you kind of get your feet wet, right? You kind of get in there. One of the things I know the dean there, you know, he and I have, have met. So then you have those students, and I'd like to, you know, one of the things I plan on doing is trying to visit there on a regular basis. So you got those kids at that level. So then you get you get them, I talk to them and say, all right, are there some of you that have really liked this? So then you go and you, know, you talk to them and then maybe you get them to the next level. Then they do that. And then potentially they liked it, maybe they go to graduate school. So I think there are some nice venues. Now the other thing, you know, I was at, before I was here, I spent 10 years at Texas Tech. You know, one of the things we did there, I thought that was very effective, is uh, we had a lot of youth activities. Like, whether it was judging activities, uh, a lot of things to get kids engaged, get them on campus, get them engaged in you know meat judging, horse judging, livestock judging, uh, a lot of those, and you know that's another that's another section we could talk about the value of judging teams, but anyways, the um, the the you know kind of getting them kind of getting them into that, but but I think you've kind of got a nice system and the dual you talked about the dual credits, so you've got these systems I think in place here that are really nice. And it's, you know, part of my thought would be is can, you know, at least from my standpoint, can it kind of help maybe some of those transitions to kind of help them kind of go up the ladder and see the value. Now, maybe there are some that, okay, they go to technical college and that's, you know, that's their direction. But try to capture some of those people and keep them going. And then they can see the, they can see the benefit that they'll have from that, those uh, added opportunities to keep going in education. And right over here, and then back to Julie. You know, to pick up on this, what we're really talking about is instilling in students a love for learning. Because the only way they're going to really succeed, right, is to embrace the concept of lifelong learning. This notion that at age 18 you're done with high school, at age 22 you're done with college, and maybe if you go on for graduate school, two more years, and then somehow in your early 20s you're ready for the rest of your life. For those of us in, in school districts uh, and a school board, we have to constantly think about the fact that a high school student right now needs to have the foundation when they graduate from our high school to be prepared to be in the workforce for 40 or 50 years. And if we just think back, those of us who are old enough in this group, 20 years ago, um, how old is Amazon? How old is Google? How old are these things? What does it mean to work? We need to be very careful that we're not educating students for uh, workforce obsolescence. OK? 
Okay. So, for example, welding is really hot right now, and we've got a program in our high school which gets them certified as a welder, and that's really great. But more and more welding is being done by robots, and I can tell you before these kids get mid-career, almost all of it's going to be done by robots. That doesn't put them out of a job, but unless we're teaching reading, writing, critical thinking skills, and quantitative reasoning um, skills in every course and everything we do in our school district, okay, we're not going to prepare them for lifelong learning what they need. And we need to, in communities, and this would be especially true for rural communities to um, succeed, is to enforce, reinforce, and appreciate an investment in education. You don't go on for a college degree just because it's going to get you a specific job. All the things you were talking about here, about the value of what it means to be a good citizen and to think and adapt. We've talked change, 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 change here today. And to be prepared for change takes more than just a very narrow education. Joe Folsom here. I was just going to add to your, the dean's comments here. But I think the one piece that I think is really critical at both at high school, the, the technical college, and at the university level is the relationship with the business community, particularly the businesses in rural communities. Those relationships can are really important, not only for the students, but for the institutions to better be able to prepare the students for their future. Julie, reintroduce yourself. Julie Tesh, Center for Rural Policy and Development. I'll say kind of, well, it, it's, it's music to my ears because what you're talking about is career and tech education. Kids, students learn in different ways. Not everyone learns out of a book or off of a PowerPoint. And if you can do hands-on learning in our career and tech education instructors in Wisconsin, Minnesota, the upper Midwest, there's a huge lack of teachers because more and more students are realizing these are really great classes. You know, at least when I was in high school, you maybe didn't go in the agriculture class. That was for, quote-unquote, those kids. Where now, you can take an animal science class, a plant science class, and it will count as your biology, as your chemistry. And so trying to widen that focus of trying to figure out what do these students, what are they interested in? You know, if you're, if you're doing woodworking, there is a lot of math in there, but you probably don't even know that you're doing it. And so it's encouraging that we're coming back to the career and tech ed part of this with the hands-on learning, and you can do so many different things with that. Anybody who has not yet, yes, Jennifer, reintroduce yourself. Jennifer Willis-Rivera, Chair of Communication and Media Studies. I already spoke those. Okay. Um, I, I, I love all of these conversations, and I, and I think another thing is to um, get the message out to the parents of the kids because there are some social messages that are going like, mm, is college worth it? And, and I think we really need to think about being in a space in college, whether you're uh, in the residence halls or not, but it happens a lot in the residence halls. So you might be um, in a conflict with your roommate, which you're going to get in a conflict at work at some point. Um, but then you're also taking a class in communication and conflict and really being able to see how these things that happen every day in your life and who are going to happen that are going to happen all the time are kind of not just happening in your life but they're also you're talking about them in your classes and in a way that you normally don't 
And what I'm hearing from a lot of employers is that a lot of the um, interpersonal skills, the conflict skills, the um, group skills, the team building skills, those kinds of things are things that we're having more and more problems with, especially since COVID, uh, because we didn't we didn't get to see each other. We didn't get to hang out and interact with each other. So again, when you're on a campus and you're taking classes, and it's not just communication classes, there are a lot of classes that talk about these issues. So having that lived experience literally on the same day as you might be talking about it in a classroom is something that makes you a valuable um, contributor to society uh, and a valuable contributor as um, in, for an employer. Anybody who hasn't spoken yet who would like to say something kind of on point to this? Yes, sir, introduce yourself if you would. Hi, I'm Steve. I, I'm a faculty member here at River Falls and uh, I teach in the animal and food science department. So I, just a, a quick comment on, I've been listening to I, a number of the comments here. And I, I just, as an educator, one of the things that always just amazes me is the amount of maturity that happens or the changes that happen between that 18 to 22-year-old. I, and I think as much as we want to talk about changes in curriculum and, and making you know, different skills and, and, and things like that, I do think the thing that remains constant is that whether it's a four-year college, whether it's a two-year, whether it's an opportunity to take part in, in something like that, even for a shorter period of time, it's that really safe space kind of introduction to adulting that uh, the stakes, I mean, I, I tell my students honestly, I mean, the stakes aren't that high. I mean, you turn in my assignment, well, your grade's going to go down, you know, but, you know, you're you're not going to go to jail. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's some reality to it. I mean, there, there's introduction, you know, on, and so it's a higher stakes than uh, what they've had before. Uh, and it's getting them ready to move in the right direction. Uh, and so I think that, you know, while there are going to be some things that change content-wise, I, I think we definitely need to remember that, that 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 maturity I've had the opportunity to be with students on their first class in college and same students their last class in college and I'm blown away at some of their totally different people great observation okay I'm going to ask because there's a tug of war happening soon uh, and I know some people want to get out there I'm going to ask the chancellor for some just some closing thoughts reflect on some of the things that you've heard if you would I think this has been a very engaging conversation, and I think one of the things that came out was it's complicated, right? And uh, there, the other thing I've, I've learned is we are promoting different kinds of pathways, right? Students don't all learn the same way, and we want them to be engaged. And the important thing is that people have these on and off ramps, sort of a seamless pathway and on and off ramps to get the kind of education they need and how great to live their dream to live in a rural area. And we've heard about the, the need for broadband and uh, that we're switching more to remote learning. And that, I think, is, a, is something very beneficial for rural areas so that we won't be place-bound, but we'll be able to fulfill our dreams, do the work we want to do, and live in the kind of environment that we want to live in. So I think that's the beauty of it all. And Getting an education, as we know, is, is 
uh, especially a public education, is for the public good. It has great public value. We know that students that graduate um, uh, generally make more money, but more importantly, they're healthier. Uh, they're more satisfied with their personal and professional lives, and isn't that what we want? And as was said, uh, you know, they're better people. They're contributing to society overall, and that's why we're here. And whether it's rural, whether it's urban, whether it's suburban, how do we, you know, bring ourselves all together to really find solutions for the challenges of the future? I'm Carrie Miller, and you've been listening to The Rural Voice, a town hall series in the rural Midwest. For more information on the series and our 2024 season, go to ruralvoice.org.